I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith in our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. We've been a little bit under the weather uh, the last couple of days, and uh, what that means is that I have a really resonant voice today. <laughs> if I could keep... If I could keep the sound of my voice right now, uh, all the time, without feeling the way that I feel right now, all the time, I think I, I think I would I would take that deal. Uh, but alas, this is uh, but a temporary affliction. Uh, I am not a guest host. No, I am your host. I just sound a little different today. And today uh, is is of course the Saturday of the third week of Advent. Tomorrow's the fourth. Sunday in the season of Advent. It's also Christmas Eve, so we've got a really short fourth week of Advent. You're not going to get your money's worth out of that fourth candle this year. Uh, sorry about that. That's just the way it is. As uh, very quickly on Monday uh, is Christmas. We are right there. And so I had to decide what we were going to do in today's show. Are we going to spend time still in that waiting and that uh, that process of Advent of realizing that, yes, Christ has come, but we are still waiting for Christ's return. We have solidarity with the, the saints and the, uh, the prophets who went before uh, as we, too, await the full redemption of mankind. So we could, we could spend another week in Advent. We still have content that we could do and talk about uh, the, the, the longing and the waiting that we're experiencing uh, and the closer that we get to Christmas, well, man, the closer our hearts get to this excitement and anticipation of what Christmas has to offer us. And so, I, you know, I'm at that place. I just, I'm, I'm like a kid at Christmas. Uh, I, I'm not a kid, but it's almost Christmas. Uh, here we are. I want to spend time really contemplating the incarnation that Christ became one of us. Remember, that's one of the names that he gets as Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's my show, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking with uh, our good friend here at Outside the Walls, Joe Heschmeyer. Uh, he blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. Uh, we, we just absolutely love it whenever he comes on the show. And, and so uh, we're going to talk with him about the incarnation. What does that mean? What are the implications of what that means? Uh, and it's going to be a great conversation. But before we get there, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. If you go over to usccb.org, uh, there's a little calendar in the right-hand side of it. And that you click on a specific day, and it gives you the readings of the day. And every once in a while, you'll get a, uh, you'll get a, a, a day that will have more than one reading because it's both the day and it's the vigil for the next day. Uh, that, that Both days would be important. Uh, unless you click on Christmas, and then you get four different possibilities. That's right, four different liturgies, depending on whether you go to the Vigil Mass, whether you go to a Mass that occurs in the middle of the night, whether you go to morning Mass first thing in the morning when the sun comes up, or whether you go to a normal Christmas Day Mass. And there are different readings for each one. Uh, so we've got a little bit more to choose from, and that means that there's a lot of really good stuff right around Christmas, and I didn't want to miss out really on any of it. So we're going to we're gonna do, over the course of today's show, a couple of readings. We're going to sprinkle them around like, uh, like seasoning. And of course, we're going to start off 
because this is the really good tie-in from, from Advent. As we're moving out of Advent soon, almost, uh, and moving into Christmas, we have this reading from the book of Hebrews where we hear brothers and sisters. In times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son, whom he made heir of all things and through whom he created the universe, who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things by his mighty word. When he had accomplished purification from sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, as far superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, this day I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. That reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. And this is kind of our introduction into Christmas, that that the, the prophets were, were the mouthpiece of God, but they only spoke in partial ways, in various ways. And now God, as he becomes man, as he takes on human nature, he now speaks to us plainly through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Man, what, what a lot there is to unpack today, because Christmas is more than, than we generally think about. I mean, you know, you hear Jesus is the reason for the season, right? We, you, you hear about the war on Christmas where, where people say that you ought to have to say or you, you ought to be allowed to say Merry Christmas. And, and uh, you know, those things uh, we've talked about a little bit last week. I'm, I'm less concerned with those specifically because most of the time they're talking about Advent. But, but here, here is the true rich meaning of Christmas. Not just is Jesus the reason for the season, but Jesus became like us so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And more than that, so that we might be, as, as the scriptures say, we might be partakers in the divine life, that we could share in his nature. He redeemed our nature so that it could share in his nature because we were made, our nature was made, humanity was made for intimate communion with God himself. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam, and we're talking about the incarnation of God, of Jesus Christ becoming man at Christmas. And that brings us, uh, as we're talking about the purpose of the incarnation, to the second reading that we're going to be reading today from uh, the book of uh, Titus. And it says, Beloved, the grace of God has appeared, saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately justly and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good. You see, the mystery of of Christ's incarnation is that as we become sharers in the divine life, we are eager to do what is good. It's not like we're looking at the, 
at the the long list of obligations and saying, oh gosh, if I'm going to be a good person, I've got to do that. And I've got to come over and I've got to figure this out. And I've, and I've got to avoid sin at all costs. Rather, by being sharers in the divine life, we, we see truly what is good and true and beautiful and desire those things above all else because everything else pales in comparison. Uh, that's, uh, that's the goal as we as parents, uh, try to instill the true meaning of Christmas into our children, is that, yes, we have gifts and we have uh, candy and we have all these other things, and yet there is something more excellent, even than, believe it or not, even than Oreo truffles. There's something more excellent even than Oreo truffles. There is the presence of God in our life. And so, yes, we have all of these these mirrors of goodness, these small things that generate happiness so that we can understand and more fully appreciate true joy, that we can see and more fully understand what it means to participate and to desire what is good. We're used to desiring what's, you know, what's fun, but but we're called to desire what is what is good and to be eager to do that which is good. So the challenge for us as parents is to find ways that we can uh, to share that full message of Christmas, uh, not just that, that Jesus came into the world, but, but why did Jesus come into the world? Yes, Jesus came into the world so that he could uh, die on the cross. Yes, but why did he do that? He did that so that we might become partakers in his nature, so that we might become like him. This is a something that, that I find fascinating. Mother Miriam often says that the sin of Adam and Eve was that they wanted to be like God without God, but that we, through, you know, Christ came to, to undo the curse of Adam and Eve and taking on uh, the human nature, which, which generated the fall, he was able to redeem us. And so he now gives us the pathway and the opportunity to be like God with God, to be like God in communion with God through this whole process, not to turn our backs on God and to do whatever we want and to try and somehow get an approximation of divinity, but to actually share with him fully in the divine life. And that's a a hard concept to grasp and to really wrap your head around and hard to wrap my head around. And so we're going to be kind of unpacking that today on the show as we invite Joe Heschmeyer uh, to come and talk to us about the Incarnation. Joe blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. He's one of our favorite guests because he has a way with words. If you've never seen the blog, please go take a look at it. See what he has written there and, and see if it might open your eyes a little bit uh, to the riches that the church offers us. So don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to continue this almost Christmas episode as we contemplate and try to understand the mystery of the Incarnation, this this profound mystery that the Church gives us here at Christmas. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll have a couple of links over there uh, to content and articles that we will be talking about today. You're going to want to take a look. But don't go anywhere. Don't go too far, because we'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And I I can't tell you how hard it is today to refrain from saying Merry Christmas, because it's not Christmas yet. Tomorrow is the fourth Sunday of Advent, but it's also Christmas Eve, and so we're going to skip right over our normal fourth Sunday of Advent show and jump right into uh, the Christmas season, the Christmas feeling, as we talk about the incarnation and what it means for us, for God to become man. We've been, you've heard it, no doubt, throughout the, the season of Advent, the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, this idea that, that uh, the incarnation would happen, Emmanuel meaning God with us. And to help us unpack that today, we have one of our favorite guests, uh, Joe Heschmeyer is on the show today. Uh, he's traveling, so he is uh, graciously spending some time with us. Uh, it is the holidays. It's hard to, to grab people. Uh, but he blogs over at Shameless Popery. And listen, if you have not gone uh, to read this blog, you need to take some time. As soon as this show is over, uh, maybe during the commercial break, you need to type in shamelesspopery.com uh, because it's just a wealth of information, both in the archives, but still just amazing stuff coming out. A great piece came out yesterday. Joe, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So we're talking about, really, uh, the foundational event in Christianity. Uh, because, yes, Easter is that 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 point that we recognize our redemption. But this is the the moment that makes that possible. This is uh, kind of a key holiday, Christmas, a high holy day. Uh, and it brings us that that crazy notion that we talk about all the time, but I don't know that we really grasp what we're saying, that God became man. And there have been all kinds of heresies as people have tried to figure out what exactly that means. So let's let's try to unpack this without without veering into heresy ourselves. Help us understand what it means for God to be man. Yeah, I think that's a that's a huge question. Um, I guess if we want to avoid heresy, which is a good starting place, mm-hmm. uh, there are a few to avoid right off the bat. Uh, the first that in becoming man, uh, he ceases to be fully God. Mm-hmm. So now, some of these take an obvious view that you know he that Jesus is somehow less God than God the Father. Um, But sometimes it's a little more subtle, where people won't think about the fact that even though Jesus was locally present in Bethlehem and Nazareth, all around Judea, Mm -hmm. he was simultaneously, in virtue of being God, capable of hearing the prayers of people all around the world Mm -hmm. and knowing the interior state of people's hearts. We get little clues at this, when it talks about how Jesus will know what, what other people are thinking or murmuring to themselves. But it's it's worth remembering that he doesn't know that just because he's like a particularly insightful man or something like this. Right. But because he is the, the infinite God. Um, so God becomes man without ceasing to be God. I think where this is maybe the most interesting, because you're, you're bringing us ahead uh, a little while past Christmas, where he's actually involved in his ministry and he's teaching and he's he's looking around. You know, as a father uh, of of seven children who who have their own little proclivities and personalities, is to think about uh, Christ the infant or Christ the toddler, and to as as there's so much wonder and discovery and curiosity about the world, to to also see that that as he is in his nature. Even at that point in time, he is still fully God, the one who created 
all of the, the cosmos and, and knows all things. And the tension between, you know, the terrible twos and, uh, and the, the awesome power of God coexisting. Yeah, I think this is beautifully expressed in the gifts of the Magi. Mm -hmm. So they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we don't often think about what those mean. Uh, but gold is what you give to a king. Mm -hmm. And frankincense is the incense that you offer to God. And myrrh is a burial spice that you offer to one who's going to die. Mm -hmm. And so simultaneously, it's this profound theological proclamation that the king of the Jews, the true king of the whole world, is at once both God and mortal. Mm -hmm. well, is capable of dying. Yeah. As we as we talk about this thought that I've had of the the coexisting toddler and and uh, and uh, deity, uh, this this also uh, is a, a basically a directly standing against one of the heresies that's out there that says that Jesus was a man until a certain point when then God came and and took over for a while. And, you know, we, we hear the term that Christ put on flesh and, and we almost tend to think of it in our vernacular as maybe he, he put it on like clothing and then he could easily take it off as clothing rather than really the, being integrated into that nature. Yeah. The, the two extremes we want to avoid are on the one hand thinking of it just as like a flesh suit that he just like, you know, zips up and then takes off again on the cross or something like that. I think there's a um, Doctor Who episode about that, you know. <laughs> I think the whole premise of Doctor Who is very much <laughs> kind of like flesh suits. Um, but at the other extreme, there's there's another heresy that's possible. So Christ has a full human nature, mm -hmm. but he's not a human person. And that is like, that's one of those mind-blowing things you learn and say, wait, what does that mean? Right. Well, because there's, there's one divine person, mm -hmm. the second person of the Trinity, who is both God from all eternity and man from the incarnation. A new person isn't created because we don't worship creatures. Right. And it isn't two persons inhabiting the same body. It's one eternal divine person who takes on a full human nature, including a human soul, but there's not a second person, you know, trapped in that body. Hmm. So what, how play with that thought experiment a little bit. What, what, what would be the difference? What, what's the, uh, how does that play out in maybe a practical s situation? Yeah, I think we go back to the gifts of the Magi. If there are two persons, you know, wrapped up in the one body, then maybe you offer gold and frankincense to the Christ and then offer myrrh to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it, Jesus becomes not the, you have like a, a human person and a divine person, like Jekyll and Hyde kind of in the same body. But that doesn't work because then the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, doesn't die on the cross for you. Right. This, this human being dies on the cross who happened to have the same body as a, a God, mm -hmm. but God remains untouched by the whole situation. So it, it shreds the meaning and power of the cross. Um, so the incarnation, it, there are all these very subtle distinctions, mm -hmm. but these distinctions, I would say, are both A, uh, present at least latently, in Scripture, uh, and B, are critical for understanding who Jesus of Nazareth is and how he operates and why he matters for us. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com, where you will get all kinds of popish goodness. 
Uh, we're talking about the incarnation. So here we have uh, this this idea that Christ is one person, both uh, a fully human and a fully divine person, not Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and and in that, um, we we have you know, church fathers have really just railed on this idea that if if Christ is not present, if the deity does not die, then we're not saved. There's something about uh, God himself redeeming our nature and not just merely subjecting uh, another human person to death as, as would be that, that person's uh, destiny after all anyway. Yeah, so this is really critical to understanding the difference between the cross and human sacrifice. Hmm. Human sacrifice is... I go and I capture my neighbor or something like this, and I, I kill them for the sake of the gods. Mm-hmm. But on the cross, that's not what's going on. Uh, in John 10, Jesus says that he lays down his own life and no one takes it from him. He's the priest of the sacrifice. And so Thomas Aquinas talks about this in part three of the Summa Theologiae, that it's the reason that the cross is effective, the reason that it has this power, is because it's an offering of perfect charity. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an imperfect analogy, right. but I think it's, it's maybe helpful for uh, understanding what we're talking about. But uh, the example I, I use is the way that there were uh, in the terrible theater shooting in Colorado some years back, mm-hmm. there were two or three young men who threw themselves in front of the bullets um, to save their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful act of love. It wasn't suicide and it wasn't beautiful on the part of the shooter. But on the part of the willing victim, the person who said, I will die instead of you, um, I will you know, lay down my own life out of love, that's a hint at the way the cross works. And that's 180 degrees opposed mm-hmm. to human sacrifice of I will kill you to improve my own standing with the gods. Right. And so here we have uh, the, the God who became man, uh, not just took over a, a person who was basically good enough and, oh, I'll pick that one. No, here is a God who, from the very beginning, from, from the uh, mitosis that occurred at the cellular level in the womb, here is God putting on flesh, not like a suit, but, but slowly and methodically and fully that he allowed himself to become man for the sake of uh, re- uh, as the as the church fathers put it, for the sake of redeeming mankind through that same nature by which mankind had been first lost. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's a chart you'll sometimes see. I think this is usually more popular in Protestant circles, but I think it has a, a good way of expressing something of the chasm of sin. And it has uh, basically just on one side, you've got God, and on one side, you've got man, and then there's a ravine in between. There's some chasm that sin has cut us off from God. In Jesus, by virtue of being fully God and fully man, not 50-50, but 100% and 100%, uh, is able to be the bridge uniting man and God once again. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer of shamelesspopery.com, and we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ here on this almost Christmas. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. (music) 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking about the Incarnation, which is what we celebrate over the Christmas holiday, Christmas season. Uh, and just so you know, Christmas is a season. It is not a holiday. Uh, we have a, a lengthy process. It used to be that we had the 12 days of Christmas. We've got the little song about it and everything where you get five golden rings and whatnot. Uh, but uh, because we, uh, because of the way that we have worked the calendar in the United States at the very least, uh, we push Epiphany a little bit further to the Sunday than we normally do. And then, and then of course, we split Epiphany. It used to be Epiphany uh, was three mysteries in one day. And we're like, you know why that's too many mysteries for one day? We need to break this out. And so now we, now Christmas, the season, goes all the way until the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So everything moves around a little bit. It's a little bit shorter this year, just like Advent was shorter. Christmas is a little shorter this year than it can sometimes be. Uh, but we're talking about the Incarnation uh, a little bit early, since it's not quite Christmas. But gosh, I just couldn't wait. And we're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's the, the blogger behind shamelesspopery.com, one of our favorite guests here. Uh, if you go to outsidethewalls.com, uh, there in the sidebar, you can find all the guests we've ever had. You click on Joe's name, and every time he's been on this show will pop up, and you can just go on a binge listen because you've got nothing else to do. It's the holidays. Joe, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So we're talking about the incarnation. God becomes man. He takes on our nature so that we can take on his nature. Uh, as, uh, the, the, as I think as Athanasius says, that God became man so that man might become God. And I tell you what, that Protestant sensibility in me from my childhood just kind of recoils just a little bit at that idea because it, it almost seems, I don't know, a little off. But, but that's what we are called to share in the divine nature, to be uh, as as the term is, which again is a little nervous to me, but the term is to be divinized, to be made uh, into the the image of Christ, to to be made holy. Yeah, I mean, there's this line in Scripture that when we see Him, we'll be like Him, so we'll see Him as He is. Mm -hmm. That there, this is the radical promise that the New Testament has repeatedly. Uh, that will become partakers in the divine nature and these sorts of things. And, you know, actually, C.S. Lewis, although he's an Anglican, he has one of the best things I've ever heard on this. If you read uh, his, he's got a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And the last two paragraphs talk about this. And one of the things it talks about is that you and all of your neighbors who are saved um, are destined to be one day glorified to such an extent that if we were to see you now, we'd be tempted to worship you. Wow. And if we don't have that understanding of what we're promised, then we don't get Christianity. If we think Christianity is just having our sins forgiven so we can sit on a cloud and play a harp, <laughs> we're selling ourselves radically short, and we're selling the beauty of human nature uh, just incredibly short. You know, Bishop Robert Barron actually ties this into the Incarnation um, at the beginning of his book, Catholicism. So a lot of people, I think, are familiar with the DVD series. Right. But there's a book that, that kind of accompanies this. And at the beginning of it, he says, uh, the incarnation tells central truths concerning both God and us. If God became human without ceasing to be God and without compromising the integrity of the creature that he became, God must not be a competitor with his creation. And then he shows how, like, that's not true of, like, the Greek mythology. Right. Like, Zeus can't become man 
because Zeus is another kind of creature, basically, another kind of a being. Uh, and so his meddling in human affairs, is it always takes the form of aggression. Whereas here, there's this beautiful process where there's no contradiction. And this is an incredible thing to say. There's no contradiction between what it is to be man and what it is to be God. And the incarnation reveals that to us because Jesus is both without contradiction. I'm going to have to think on that for a while. That's 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 a one of those like that's like sitting there saying, OK, well, I'm going to contemplate eternity. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm going to figure out what number that is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in, in a real way, we can say uh, the human person is the kind of creature that God connects to himself mm. through the incarnation, but then by extension through divinization, that he takes on this one human soul so that through the act of redemption and through the whole passion, death, resurrection, ascension, he can draw us to himself, draw all of these human souls uh, to this perfect unity with his. That is, that's what we call divinization, to become uh, such a sharer in the life of grace and in the life of God. And the trick in that is that we never cease to be what we are. We're always created. He always creator. He is always the unmoved mover. He is always other. And yet he's drawing us into himself through this Christmas mystery. And listen, if you think you've got Christmas figured out and that, you know, you grew up and you you quit believing in, in what uh, you used to think of as a child, in case someone's listening, uh, you know, if, if that's what you if that's what you think Christmas mystery is all about, there's a lot to dig into. What th This incarnation is something just so amazingly profound. And to help us unpack it today, we're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. Now, in the last segment, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the heresies that the church has uh, combated in this question of the incarnation over time, the, the Christology that we uh, saw emerge uh, pretty, pretty strongly in the 4th and 5th centuries. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Mary, because Mary is a big part of the incarnation. She's integral to it. Uh, but the whole idea of the Theotokos, that she is the mother of God, is, uh, is really to protect something about what we believe about Jesus. Yeah. So to give a little bit of history about it, Theotokos, it literally means God-bearer, uh, but it's better, I think, translated as mother of God. And there were some, Nestorius being chief among them, uh, who thought, oh, you can't say Mary's the mother of God because that makes her like some sort of goddess. Mm -hmm. So instead we should say only mother of Christ. But the problem with that is that then you end up saying that the son of Mary isn't God. Mm -hmm. He's only Christ. And you've, you've made this distinction between Jesus of Nazareth and the second person of the Trinity, a distinction that you can't, you have it will be two separate persons. Right. This is that kind of Jekyll and Hyde theology we were talking about before. Right. Because uh, even though God is from all ages uh, and, and is obviously quite a bit older than Mary is, even so, God in that second person of the Trinity, God cannot be uh, incarnated without a mother. And so in that way, she very properly and very simply and very logically is the mother of God. Yeah, the, uh, the early church sometimes spoke of this as a double consubstantiality. Hmm. So I, you may be familiar with the term consubstantial from the creed. Right. And so there's this notion that in his divinity, Jesus is consubstantial 
with the Father. He's of the same substance, the same nature mm-hmm. as God the Father. He's as God as God the Father is God. Mm-hmm. But he's also, in his humanity, consubstantial with his mother Mary. He's as human as Mary is human. Hmm. That's fascinating. This is this, this, I, it's bad radio because there's dead air is awful. But I just want to sit here and kind of stew in that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just have a thirty minute period of silence. We can all just think about this, and then uh, if you're listening, I on, think, honestly, I think this this is uh, this is why theology is so rich. You know, we can fall into this this trap of thinking of it as just an academic exercise. When you hear these beautiful, profound things, I mean, it moves you to the point of almost wanting to cry. It's so beautiful. And it reveals so much, not just about who Christ is, but even about who we are, mm-hmm. that God created us as so much more than we could have ever asked for, right. so much more than we deserved. And it would have been just as easy, because as Thomas Aquinas talks about, the moment that God ceases to think about us individually, we cease to be. Because not only did he create us, but he maintains us by his thought. And so uh, the moment that we fell, it would have been quite easy for us to just cease to exist and God to start over and try again. And yet there was something so valuable that he saw in humanity that he went to the extra trouble of taking on our nature to redeem our nature because he knew what it could be. He knew what he had created it for. Yeah, there's, I believe it's uh, Charles Peggy in Veronica has a very beautiful, he's a French writer. He, he has a very beautiful thing that I heard in a meditation. It's actually on Good Friday, mm-hmm. but because it's so related to, uh, right. to the, the nature and mission of man, I think it's worth reflecting on. Um, he says, why did he come? And why did the world come into being? One must believe that I have a certain importance I who am nothing. How is it possible that I am not great? If I've messed up so many things in the world, disordered so many things in the world, and such a great world at that, if I've started such a tragic history, a God, God went out of his way. God sacrificed himself for me. This is Christianity. How beautiful. And this is Christmas. This is, you know, we, we tend to think of Christmas as, as just lights and tinsel and gifts and, and uh, joy to the world sung uh, through the hallways. And, and it's so much more. It is the, the invasion of God into the created order. It's, it's God subjecting himself to that which he made. There's this beautiful poem by F.W. Pitt called The Maker of the Universe. And it says, The maker of the universe as man for man was made a curse. And it talks about the whole, his holy fingers made the bough which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. And, and here's this, this picture of God becoming man and subjecting himself to his own creation for the sake of redeeming that same creation. We've been talking today with Joe Hashmeyer of shamelesspopery.com. Joe, thanks for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. We've got much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. You'll find some links there uh, based on some of the stuff we've talked about in today's show. But don't go anywhere because there's more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Just finished a great conversation with Joe Heschmeyer. He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. Excellent blog. One of my absolute favorite locations online. Always a wealth of information there put in a very practical and easily understandable and yet thorough way. So go over, take a look at shamelesspopery.com. And today's show was uh, was one of those shows that I'm going to have to go back and listen to a couple of times because of the, of the depth of it. It's pretty profound. Uh, and if you want to do the same thing, hey, don't worry about it because it's archived. Everything's up online over at outsidethewalls.com. We've, uh, we've changed the way the website works a little bit to put those archives right on the front page. You don't even have to click a link. It's just the most recent one is right up there at the top. Easy to find. Easy to share on Facebook or Twitter with your friends and let them enjoy the benefit of what you've just now participated in. And if you couldn't get enough, well, there's one more segment that I have with Joe uh, for those people who support the show through Patreon. And uh, it's really easy. You go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and look at the different levels of possibility. For as little as $2 a month, you get extra content. Uh, for $5 a month, you get the extra segments that we produce every week. And, uh, and there's much more as the levels go up. So take a look by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking on that Patreon link. And uh, if you already support the show through Patreon, well, be watching your mailbox because I sent you a Christmas present. That's right. The people who support the show get cool stuff. So before we get too far, I want to go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. And as I mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of good readings for Christmas Day because there's four different opportunities, four different uh, lectionary uh, readings, depending on whether it's a vigil mass or, or mass in the evening or mass at dawn or mass during the day of Christmas. There's all these different readings. And in the first segment, we did uh, two readings. And I'm going to go ahead today. We're going to, because it, because it's a special day, we're going to do three readings. Uh, here is our reading from Scripture out of the book of Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her vindication shines forth like the dawn and her victory like a burning torch. Nations shall behold your vindication, and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, pronounced by the mouth of the Lord. You shall be a glorious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem held by your God. No more shall people call you forsaken, or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight, and your land espoused. For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse as a young man marries a virgin. Your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And I think it's easy for us to forget that Christ's redeeming work reset us, right? His plan for us to share in his divine nature, his plan for this intimate communion was the plan from the beginning. This is who we were made to be before the fall occurred. And so it was always his plan for us to be uh, nicknamed, as it were, to be named my delight and for our land to be named 
espoused. These are just beautiful, uh, profound terms. And this is, we, we are sharers in that because of the redeeming work of God. Our reading from church history today was really hard to choose. I, I was having a hard time deciding which, which one to go for uh, because there are some beautiful ones out there. And so uh, those people who are friends with me on, uh, on Patreon who support the show, I, I gave you an extra one today uh, from, from the breviary from Christmas Day. Uh, but we're here on the show. We're going to do one from St. Augustine from a tractate on the first letter of John by St. Augustine. Our message is from the word of life. We announce what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have touched with our own hands. Who could touch the word with his hands unless the word was made flesh and lived among us? Now this word, whose flesh was so real that he could be touched by human hands, began to be flesh in the Virgin Mary's womb but he did not begin to exist at that moment. We know this from what John says, what existed from the beginning. Notice how John's letter bears witness to his gospel, which you just heard a moment ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Someone might interpret the phrase, the Word of life, to mean a word about Christ rather than Christ's body itself, which was touched by human hands. But consider what comes next and life itself was revealed. Christ, therefore, is himself the word of life. And how was this life revealed? It existed from the beginning, but was not revealed to men, only to angels who looked upon it and feasted upon it as their own spiritual bread. But what does Scripture say? Mankind ate the bread of angels. Life itself was therefore revealed in the flesh. In this way, what was visible to the heart alone could become visible also to the eye, and so heal men's hearts. For the word is visible to the heart alone, while flesh is visible to bodily eyes as well. We already possess the means to see the flesh, but we had no means of seeing the word. The word was made flesh so that we could see it, to heal the part of us by which we could see the word. John continues, And we are witnesses, and we proclaim to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and has been revealed among us. One might say more simply, revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have heard and seen. Make sure that you grasp the meaning of these words. The disciples saw our Lord in the flesh, face to face. They heard the words he spoke, and in turn, they proclaimed the message to us. So we also have heard, although we have not seen. Are we then less favored than those who both saw and heard? If that were so, why should John add, so that you too may have fellowship with us? They saw, and we have not seen, yet we have fellowship with them, because we and they share the same faith. And our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. And we write this to you to make your joy complete, complete in that fellowship, in that love, and in that unity. That reading from Church History Today comes from uh, the tractates on the first letter of John by St. Augustine. This incarnation of God, this Word made flesh that dwelt among us, this 
this picture of the word of life coming and giving himself to us so that we can be partakers in his nature. This is something to take with you and to, to ruminate on as you go to Mass. And you've got a couple of opportunities because we have two Holy Days of Obligation, which means we have to go to two Masses. We've got Sunday Mass, which is the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, and then we also have uh, the, the Christmas Mass, which is also a day of obligation. So we've got two Mass obligations, two opportunities, right? So my family's going to do Sunday morning like we always do, and we're going to go back Sunday night at 10 o'clock because we don't have midnight Mass at our parish. Uh, and so we're going to do both of those right there. And and here, as we are sitting and contemplating and hearing these readings, contemplating the the uh, the incarnation of Christ and remembering that that little passage that we have man, mankind has eaten the bread of angels, and we go forward to receive in the Eucharist the fullness of the life of Christ. We receive not just uh, the, the, the body and blood of Jesus, but the fullness of who he is, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, all of him, not a part of him, not just a little bit of God, but we get to, to be in communion with the fullness of Christ in his divinity, right? This is, this is amazing. This is truly marvelous in our eyes as we try to contemplate and wrap our minds around the fact that this, as, as a friend of mine, as Mother Miriam puts it, uh, that Christ condescended, that Christ came down and put on human nature, right? He became man. And then he condescended even further and became our food. He comes to nourish us through his manifest presence, the real presence of God, just as God was truly present in, in, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the, fully in his humanity and his divinity. So too, he is fully present to us under the auspices of bread and wine at the Eucharist. You know, people say, well, you know, that, that doesn't look like bread. It doesn't taste like bread. It, I mean, it doesn't taste like uh, body or blood. Well, you know what? When God was fully incarnate in Jesus Christ, people didn't look and say, well, that doesn't have the properties of God. That, that's, that's just a person. In the same way, that God could be fully human and fully divine. God can fully make himself present to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity in its entirety in under the auspices of bread and wine, something that looks like bread and tastes like bread and looks like wine and tastes like wine, and yet gives us spiritual nourishment. So this is an opportunity this Christmas to move beyond the baby in the manger and to think about what that means, that Christ became man, God became man, so that we could become partakers in the divine life. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is made possible again by all of those who so generously donate over at Patreon. Click Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link. I hope that you and your family have a wonderful Christmas. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.